0: Found in the same publications, Times and Seasons, Volume Three, Chapter Twelve, quite a bit earlier. This is when Joseph was alive, and just just a couple sentences from a sermon of his. He says this: God has set for man to enter into His kingdom. That's the sentence right there. God has set for man to enter into His kingdom, and exactly as Nephi writes. He said in First Nephi, Chapter Four, the last few verses, he states. The final state of the souls of man is to dwell in the kingdom of God or to be cast out, right? Mm-hmm. that That's how Nephi summarizes everything of his vision to his brothers when he's explaining it. He says, you're, you're either with God or without. And this is the biggest lie that has been propagated through our history is that somehow there is this middle ground where lots of people are going to end up and don't worry, you won't be with God, but you'll be happy.
1: Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you today into that conversation. This week, uh, we had another um, interaction with one of our listeners and she had asked some questions about the glories and um, and just talking back and forth she had mentioned that you know she didn't even know really how to talk to her children about life after death because it was so seemed kind of complicated or you know it was so involved i guess with what we have taught in the restoration and so i wanted to speak about that a little bit i know we had several episodes on that but that ought not be, Corey. For for women, you know, not just <laughs> so women, for children of the Lord who are seeking Him out, the scriptures shouldn't complicate where we go when we die. That's one of the most important things, and that's what gives us hope. And if Jesus is the author and finisher of our hope and our faith and our lives, shouldn't we be able to have confidence that He can save us? Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, I. Have I, I was thinking about this driving over, and it's uh, it's morning time for Mike and I right now. And I was thinking about how, you know, we we never prepare a script. We we just do what we've enjoyed doing over the years, and it's just talking about things. And I and I was just considering the fact that it's a stewardship too. That you know, we get hundreds of people listening to episodes, and uh, I was just kind of struck with this responsibility and the fact that. Um, you know, we want to speak to things that are truthful and, and and honest, even though it's just us talking. Anyhow, thinking about what you just said, Mike, this problem in the in the world right now and the hearts of men and, and, and the problems there. And I've I was reading this week in our own church history, uh, and I and I don't share this because I, I and this is where I kind of why it's I realize it's a stewardship. I, I don't want this to be discouraging or disparaging, but I was realizing. There were times, you know, in in even our church where you didn't always know the hearts of men and the, and the reason for things. And we tend to, in our history, put a sort of little happy halo over anyone who's written whose name was recorded in church history or whatever. And the reason I'm going there at all is because some of our problems we've got right now with understanding doctrine, I'm I'm learning came out of a time of church history when the hearts of people weren't always right. And I, and I don't want to throw that out there, and I don't want it to sound disparaging, but but the reason I'm sharing this is because of what, uh, what our, our, our friend, the listener, shared, and it makes me a little bit angry when I realize now we are the victims of some things that happened in early church history, and we can't always sort the facts out. Like today in our day, all the problems in the world, it's hard to sort out what's truth and what isn't. And so I know we've touched on this before. I, I don't want to I don't want to talk about the doctrinal stuff of the of the you know what's been termed the three glories, but I've been reading, and if you don't mind, I just want to share a little bit about some of the stuff that is making me realize, you know, we are we are sort of the victims. Our our confusion about this is maybe partly born out of the fact that we see these scriptures through the lens, you know, and we've formed a paradigm through the lens of other people in a day and time of the church when I I well, you when said, things were just right. You uh you read something to me last week and
1: it was interesting. Um you were um you read a quote from our history that um was referring to like the twelve and just in the language that that was being referred to if, if we heard men talk today about one another we would I would think that is so prideful and arrogant and lifting <sighs> up man but, it, but it was in, recorded and I I got a different perspective when you read that and yeah. I thought what was the mindset of of yeah. people back then and what what was going on
0: in the in the time period after Joseph Smith was martyred in in the in the early days of that in 1844. You know, the hearts of the church. You know, people were just broken, and it was tumultuous, and they were they were looking for a direction, and um, and so I think there was efforts on the part of people to let everyone know, want people to believe everything was going to be okay, but um, and and you got to remember because hearts of people haven't changed even. We we tend to think if something was printed and it was a church publication even well of course it had the seal of heaven stamped on it right and Mm -hmm. but you but you have to remember it's no different than the internet today when you read something on the internet I mean most people know that there's going to be opinions and they're not always factual Um, and and even back in the day do we you know well (laughs) do we (laughs) right right so we're supposed to if we uh, lesson one hundred one internet lesson one hundred one what you read is not always true well. So I, I just give you this an example, and I'm not here to disparage anyone, but you, you got to remember in any day and time when you read something, it's it's one person's opinion if they wrote it. And it's like, so. And this is our opinion.
1: This isn't, like yeah. you said, this isn't us. Uh, I wouldn't preach certain things, but this is two men just t- talking, talking. And um, some of these will be a benefit to people. Some they may not have interest in,
0: but. So yeah, this is yeah. this is just food for thought. And- well, so the church had its has its church history. Um uh, there's about four volumes of that, cover from Joseph Smith's kind of early days to through in the 18, you know, up in the 1900s I guess. But um they also had a publication going in the days of Nauvoo um called the Times and Seasons and this wasn't a lot different than if you know you're in the church in the 60s 70s 80s you know they they sent out this herald or you get the restoration voice and you know it's Mm -hmm. people's testimonies and things like that the church has been good about keeping us linked through information like that through written publications but you get articles people contribute things and so in, and, and if you've heard these names, I gotta, I, I know I'm got i hitting on a little thing here and there before I actually get to the meat of it. I just I just got to build this foundation. Um, we've heard names like, you know, have you heard the name W.W. W. Phelps? Yes. Yeah, and you know, like, what he may have been known for? Uh, hymns, maybe? Yeah, hymns, right. And I think he even wrote uh, The Spirit of God, Like a Fire is you know, one of our bold, uh, strong hymns of the Restoration. Um, and there's people in the church i know today with the last name phelps who may or may not even be related and i i'm I'm not saying this any of this to disparage any person or or cause anyone to doubt but i want to read an art just an excerpt of a uh, a couple paragraphs that were in the times and seasons in the time period um just after joseph smith was martyred when people were trying to find an anchor and um and W. W. Phelps is writing a letter to someone, and it's written in this Times and Season publication, and he's saying, I must draw to a close or my letter will be long enough for a pamphlet. I can't leave the subject, however, till I bring in the 12. And 12 is in quotes. So he's talking about the 12 apostles who are the apostles in the day when Joseph Smith was martyred. Okay, so they were Joseph's you know, apostles that he ordained. And, and now this is what he says about 12, 12 men in the church. They were known from before the foundation of the world, and thus they are noticed in the prophecy of Zenos in the Book of Mormon. I mean in that masterly parable of the olive tree. All men acquainted with the revelation and the spirit of God. So now it's all of a sudden kind of saying, you're a dummy and you don't have God's spirit if you don't know what I'm talking about here. But it says... All men acquainted with the spirit of God have agreed that the servant spoken of in that parable was Joseph Smith. And then when the Lord commanded him to go call other servants and they went forth with their mites, it, as a whole, it must be backed up by the revelations and the doctrine of covenants uh, more than any mortal to prove the illusion of the servants meant the body of the 12. So in other words, he's he's saying, hey, we are convinced now that this prophecy of Zenus, where the servant goes out and he calls servants and they labor with their mites and they bring about the kingdom, it has to be the 12 apostles who he says are the ones of his day. You know, this is 1844, 1845. And then he, he writes, now I'm going to stop right there and I know we haven't really gotten into the parable of the olive tree so much but I think most people in the restoration have probably heard heard of it it may be kind of flyover scripture it's 10 or 12 pages about this guy planting the vineyard and the tree and everything and and yet there's it, it it's a it's a metaphor for for the time when God does his work for the last time and brings, restores righteousness to the world. A great. It's a great prophecy, right? Book of Mormon, Jacob. Is
1: it the book of Jacob? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Jacob chapter three in the RLDS version. And it's, and it's huge. And, um, there's a lot we could say about it, which I don't want to get into right now. That's not the point. But in the end, this sir the servant of the master goes and calls a few other laborers, but they obey the commandments of God in all things. That's a particular thing. And they, they, complete the desire of the master to restore the original fruit in the vineyard. And and this is all a metaphor for how in the last days the gospel would be preached to the world. Well, so what W.W. Phelps is doing, and again, this is a publication going out to everyone in the church at a time when Joseph Smith is dead. Um, and he says, I know the 12, and I'm continuing to read now. I know the 12, and they know me. Their names are Brigham Young, and then he calls him the Lion of the Lord, Heber Kimball, the herald of grace. Now, Heber Kimball and Brigham Young were the two main guys who went to Utah with, you know, and started the, what we call the Mormonism, you know, Utah Mormonism. But at this point in time, they were still in the church. Right. And, and, um, but he's, he's, Promoting these people, their names are Brigham Young, the Lion of the Lord; Heber Kimball, the Herald of Grace; Parley Pratt, the Archer of Paradise; Orson Hyde, the Olive Branch of Israel. And he goes on and on and on, and he says, "These are good men. These are the best the Lord can find. They do the will of God, and the saints know it." Um, I I throw this out there because, for one, this is just the opinion of someone, but. But to saints in the church forever, you know, someone in authority, someone especially like someone like W.W. Phelps, they they held the you know they held the people captive with their words in the church. You know, they believe this is these are inspired. Well, I pretty much bet everything I had and say these servants were not the ones that were talked about in the parable of the olive tree. Right? Mm-hmm. These guys are gone. Well, the the and 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 the. So that's just sort of a, an intro to some of these things, but so in this same vein, things were said in the days about the um, uh, Section Seventy Six and the glories and things like this. Um, what um, I, I, I want to throw so just to take this in a, in a, l- a little step further, then I want to talk about the how this applies to section 76. Uh, In the same time period, there's some quotations from Brigham Young, and this is from a sermon of Brigham Young. I'm amazed when I read his words. Um, He was a gifted orator. I mean, persuasive, persuasive. And I would imagine anyone sitting uh, under the sound of his voice would be kind of intimidated by i mean he's got a mind and intellect and he's he's got a commanding way with words and he also has this ability to take ideas and and put some truth and then spin a little bit of his own notion into it and and i know because this is our podcast i don't want to overwhelm us with a bunch of reading and i know i'm kind of monologuing
1: here no this is great i mean i i'm very intrigued by this so i think there'll be a set of people that would be too
0: what I'm trying to set up is that we had ideas of people that were not quite right, but yet from that pot of ideas also came out opinions about Section 76, which to our day have still held. Well, let me let me read you something that you tell me if you agree with yeah. us. This is this is Joe. This is uh, Brigham Young in a sermon. Uh, this is when he's still in the church, but after Joseph has has died. And he says, brothers and sisters, for the sake of your dead and for the sake of yourselves, this is when he's pitching uh, to continuing the baptism of the dead. He says this, be faithful and have no feelings in your hearts against one another, but learn to suffer wrong rather than do wrong. I mean, isn't that beautiful? Learn to suffer wrong rather than do wrong. And by do, so doing, we will outstrip all of our enemies and conquer the evil one. I mean, that, that's, that's yeah, beautiful. That's that is, but, but then he continues, for know ye not that there is Zion, Know ye not that the millennium has commenced? We have had Zion upon this earth fourteen years. Now he's so he basically this is eighteen forty four, so eighteen thirty. You know, from the time he's saying from the time the church was organized to then he's speaking right after Joseph Smith was martyred. He's all of a sudden saying, "No, this is the millennium." You know, he's like he's like pronouncing that they've been living in this is Zion and all this kind of stuff, and it's like. Brothers and sisters, that's not right. This that was not the millennium, right? right. Jesus was not in our midst. But but to but to take and this is just one little snippet to take this idea when these people were hurting and just you know their their hearts were racked with with fear and and um, and 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 pain from from Joseph Smith's death. Now he's saying, hey, we're going to conquer the evil one, and and this is Zion, and this is all this. Well, it wasn't, and so. We get these people promoting one another. They say, "Hey, follow these people, lift these people up." And then they're preaching this kind of stuff, yeah. and it's like, "There's we we've got to we we've got to be able to scrutinize a little bit." And I and I I say that with a little bit of trepidation because, you know, you you start scrutinizing anything and it, co- it can cause so much pain. And then you're like, "I don't want to pay attention to any of anything. it." You know. Well,
1: you know. I was as you were talking, I was thinking. So, how is this relevant, and and where would people find? You know how does this affect us today? And I was thinking, you know, these conversations. I don't think we, you know, we don't have them to destroy faith or to rob us of hope, but rather I think they give hope. And how and how do they give hope by looking back and saying, "Well, this man who we we we've, we've reverenced has, you know, said some things." It's because men are always men, and they're sinful men, and we don't have to take their opinions as gospel. And when we do, that's when we start to get to the point like how do i tell my kids about eternal life it's right. because when we take what men say and hold it up as scripture or tradition becomes the the recorded word of god then we have a problem of of disjunctive you know how does this fall into this scripture and how and so but we feel like we have to take it because of who said it and because we hold them up and then we have to make it fit somehow into the rest of scripture, and it doesn't always. Right. And I've, I can't tell you how many times in the past two years as we've talked, and we've talked some things out. And I'm like, well, I was always trying to make Joseph Smith fit into that story, or I was trying to to make this, you know, this scripture fit, but it never quite did, and and yet. That's how I was taught it and have heard it preached for years. And it never quite made sense to me. And then when we talk about it, it's like, oh, that makes, now that makes sense. But why were we trying so hard to fit a square
0: peg into a round hole for so long? Exactly. We've tried so hard to make everything try to fit. And and sometimes we have to realize, no, there were men and they, they were fallible as we are today.
1: And like you said, trying to sort truth today is so hard because it's so available for every person to put out their opinion. But that doesn't mean the nature of man has changed, right? And so, exactly. even in these early days, we weren't there. Certainly, well, we know how many things in Nauvoo were going on. That just it was like it's a great place to go because you know there was all kinds of saints living together, and wow, look what you know. Look at the possibility of yeah. what we can do when we work together. But the temple was destroyed. There was they were building baptism for the dead. There was these symbols on the temple that were mixed in with with Masonic traditions and the occult and all kinds of things. Um, this man that was chosen to lead the people as a prophet was killed. So how does God allow—well, I remember hearing one time a story as I— like, the saints were run out of independence because they were fighting against slavery and they didn't want that. And I, that didn't sound right to me when I was 12 years old, like, <laughs> if you're with the Lord and following the Lord and standing up for righteousness, he's going to scatter you. That's not why they were run out. It's because wickedness and sin and pride kept entering in. And so they were scattered by their enemies as is the history of all the world. Right. right. So anyway, this gives me hope because I don't, I don't want to rely on men, and, I, and it's okay to say men are fallible. Yeah, and even righteous men have moments of weakness, and so everything
0: has to measure up against the Word of God, and that gives us all kinds of hope. Yeah, exactly. You know this this Word of God. Just to interject, this is what's brought me back to a, a firm foundation is realizing the book of mormon the same book of mormon they had in this day is the same book of mormon we have now but i'm realizing that you know we we did too much of promoting you know uh, the, the history of us you know and it, i mean not just it, it's it's like hey come join our church because we've we're led by you know uh, people who for instance, we had this vision in the Grove and we've started this new organization. Come join us because we're right. And oh yeah, we've got the Book of Mormon too. But it's like, it wasn't supposed to be that. It was like, no, God brought light and truth. And this is the plain, pure message of Jesus Christ that God came down as a sacrifice for sin. And without appealing to him and with a broken heart and contrite spirit, we can't return to his presence. You know, that's that's ultimately the the message of the Book of Mormon, but it's gotten confused with our own history, and then the history gets confused with the opinions of man. And what we've done in, instead is promoted ourselves and our history. I think when we we're supposed to pre- be promoting the message of the Book of Mormon, and and I, I I just think what what's become apparent to me is that no, God said I'm going to restore my word and purity to the Gentiles and and he gave it to us but we we largely missed what that doctrinal message was we we kind of looked at it like well he blessed us with more of his word but no that that word was supposed to settle the score on doctrinal issues that have plagued the Gentiles. That's why it says many Gentiles stumble. This was Nephi's vision. He says, I see these Gentiles stumbling because of plain and precious truths that were removed. But in the latter days, this word comes to them. Well, so what we did is this word came to us, but then we created more stumbling blocks of our own opinions. And and this is is where I'm seeing at this point in time in history, it, it became exacerbated through the politics of the day and people were trying to lead people in other ways and maybe in we've got a lot more material here that I could cover several podcasts which I know I'm not going to get into right now but but maybe we can in the future but what you end up finding is that in the context of celestial glory Brigham Young, and it's recorded in our our own church history. ties in uh, spiritual wifeism. That was the first term they gave it. You know, these guys were already practicing polygamy, and they were they were banded together, and that's that was how they promoted it. If you want to be, you know, in celestial glory, this is what they were saying: you you've got to be banded to your wife. You know, the man and the woman, and all this stuff. These ideas were coming forth out of this, and this idea of the celestial kingdom was. Um, was sort of the way that it was all justified, and and so let me let me contrast something sure. though, real quick. So, I, I haven't done an exhaustive study, uh, and I, there's probably more out there, but I wanted to try to find out. Well, what did Joseph Smith actually say about this? And and I want to read a little snippet of Joseph Smith, but I, I want to qualify it with a definition. We got to remember our our minds have already been skewed by things that happened in people's opinions that celestial was this place you go, right? Celestial was simply a meaning of bright, fullness of light and truth. And and in section 76, celestial wasn't a place people were going. Celestial was the place people were coming from, from heaven. The ones, the spirits of saints who had been in God's presence already, they were going to be alive on the earth because God was going to be here. And that's why it was called celestial, you know, full of light and truth. Mm-hmm. And and the different grades of of light, the terrestrial and telestial, just meant the amount of God's spirit that people people had experienced. But that was describing events of the millennium, not final judgment. Well, So I thought, well, what did Joseph, Joseph Smith have to say about this? I found in the same publications, Times and Seasons, Volume 3, Chapter 12, quite a bit earlier. This is when Joseph was alive. And just, just a couple sentences from a sermon of his. He says this, God has set for man to enter into his kingdom. That's the sentence right there. God has set for man to enter into his kingdom. And exactly as Nephi writes he said in 1 Nephi chapter 4 the last few verses he states the final state of the souls of man is to dwell in the kingdom of god or to be cast out right mm-hmm. that that's how Nephi summarizes everything of his vision to his brothers when he's explaining it he says you're you're either with god or without and this is the biggest lie that has been propagated through our history is that somehow There is this middle ground where lots of people are going to end up, and don't worry, you won't be with God, but you'll be happy. And it's like the biggest lie is that our spirit could ever have eternal happiness outside of God's presence. That's the lie. That no, we were created to be in God's presence to return to Him, and that's this whole idea of salvation. And anything that doesn't, any idea that doesn't return us to God, fully, completely restored to His presence without sin, is is making Him, you know, weak and impotent and unable to 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 create this. Um, this return of our soul to Him, that He said, "No, this is my work and my glory to, to bring you back to Me." And so, when when Joseph states this, that God is set for man to enter into His kingdom, that's meaning this is the whole point is so that we can return to Him. And then he he states this: Those who seek to enter in any other way will seek in vain, for God will not receive them, neither will the angels acknowledge their work as accepted. For they have not obeyed the ordinances nor attended to the signs which God ordained for the salvation of men to prepare him for and give him a title to celestial glory. Now, this is interesting because he uses that word celestial glory, but what he's saying is in the context is that there's only one way back to God, and the only thing he's trying to do is to return us to this place where he is, which is called this celestial, you know, this celestial. Uh, state to prepare him to, to bring us back and to give us that to share that with us but he says this and this is this is the point and God has decreed that all who will not obey his voice shall not escape the damnation of hell so so what he does is he shows the parallel, the same thing Nephi says <laughs> yeah. throughout the Book of Mormon. Right. He says, you either have eternal life or you have damnation. You, you are returned to the presence of God or you're cast out from the presence of God. And Joseph is summarizing it right here. It's Volume 3, Chapter 12, page 752. You can find it in, in um, on Restored Gospel. But he's basically saying, if you aren't with God fully returned, he said, you're damned. And that's right. that's the definition. That's what section 76, remember, Mike, when we were reading that before in that paragraph four, what what did it say the gospel was? It said, only the sons of perdition are not saved. Yeah, this is the glad tidings in the gospel of Jesus. Exactly. And, and so here Joseph Smith is taking this and clearly presenting this, um, his brother Hiram is is quoted later saying almost the same words. He um, says, and as to the celestial glory, all who will enter in that kingdom that obey the gospel and continue in the faith until the end of his days. This is exactly what you get when you read section 76. All will enter in that kingdom that obey the gospel and continue faith until the end of their days. Um, and then he says, he's, he's he, he kind of reprimands people. He says, therefore I say unto you, Cease preaching your miraculous things. Let the mysteries alone until by and by. Preach faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance and baptism for the remission of sins and receiving the Holy Ghost. He goes and on, cease from your schisms and your divisions and contentions, humble yourselves in dust and ashes. And you know, this is the gospel that he's preaching. Yeah,
1: what, what was that about the so, mysteries? Leave so your mysteries. He,
0: he's he's basically he's reprimanding the people. It's recorded in Volume Five, Chapter Six, Page Four Seventy Four. Hiram Smith is basically saying, "See," he says, "cease preaching your miraculous things and let the mysteries alone until by and by." And it's like, he's he's telling people you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're you're focusing right. on yourselves, your miracles, your the things you think are mysteries, and he's telling them preach repentance in Jesus Christ. And he says, and as to the celestial glory, you know, everyone who obeys is going to return there. And so I contrast that with words of, of, of and I remember this same time period when not just Brigham, but he was kind of the lightning rod. He, he got the most attention. Um, Brigham Young later is quoted, and and I just going to summarize this part really quick because I know I'm going a little long on this, but he's he's quoted later as saying, you know, okay, well, if you want to uh, be a part of the celestial world, you have to pay your tithing. If you want to, um, let me let me read the one thing on the wifeism. You'll you'll probably find this interesting. Yeah. Um, he, he says, uh, now I would call your attention to the teachings of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Now, this is where, again, I said it's slippery because you can take some truth and then you can spin it. Uh, this is, uh, again, a uh, part of a speech from uh, for brother Brother Young here after Joseph died. Call your attention to some of the sayings of Apostle Paul. I hope you will not stumble at them. Paul says, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, and so is the man is of the woman, but all things of God. He's quoting from Corinthians. Then the apostle says, the woman is the glory of the man. Now, brethren, these are Paul's sayings, not Joseph Smith's um, sayings. And I I would say to you that as no man can be perfect without the woman, so no woman can be perfect without the man to lead her. I tell you, as the truth in the bosom of eternity, and so... To say to every man on the face of the earth, if he wishes to be saved, he's talking about in the celestial glory, he cannot be saved without a woman by his side. This is spiritual wifeism. That is the doctrine of spiritual wives. And he, he continues to talk about this, basically promoting his idea of polygamy, tying it in with salvation to the celestial level, that if you want to be saved in the celestial kingdom, you've got to... You've got to abide by this. And this is disheartening, right? Mm-hmm. Because these are the things that were going on in the day. But what we don't realize is that, you know, four or five generations later, we have still got conflict in our mind because people were mixing, you know, this basic message I just read from Joseph Smith hey, you're saved in God's kingdom or you're not, right? That's right. what he said. And now we've got people <clears throat> who are tying all this other stuff in. And then later, uh, Brigham's, and I won't quote this, I'm just going to summarize it. He's quoted as <clears throat> people are saying, well, you know, how many levels are of salvation are there?" And he says, there's infinite, infinite. Mm-hmm. That is, has that is got to be the biggest lie against the whole purpose of the book of mormon that there's only one salvation that's returning to god's presence there is no such thing as infinite levels of salvation anything else would be a lie anything else would be an injustice to the our spirit that was created in god's image right you know our, our, that no the whole point is that life can only be experienced fully returned to him and so these ideas these half truths were creeping in over and over and over by men who had other motives, you know. Other, they were trying to promote their polygamy. They were trying to promote other people. They were trying to lift each other up as we are the fulfillment of the prophecy of the parable of the olive tree. You know, all these things to this hurting group of people. And out of that, everyone was using Section Seventy Six to try to justify it. And I, I've got uh, several things. I'm not going to read them or share them today. I, I just, I just kind of th- want to throw a little bit of this out that. We've formed, in my opinion, our Section 76 interpretation out of this, this tornado of stuff that was going on then. And it's like we somehow feel like, oh, I don't know if I can believe the Book of Mormon because of all this other stuff. No, all this other stuff was formed from the paradigms created by these people who did not always have righteousness in their hearts. What we're given is the Book of Mormon and the truth. and And even the Book of Mormon in Section 76, as we shared one time, they fully corroborate if you understand what Section 76 was trying to say from the beginning. But take the Book of Mormon and take the truth that's taught there. It's the firm foundation. I don't know how you get around not saying that you are the one
1: saving yourself rather than a Savior who's mighty to save.
0: Exactly. I, I just was reading in a in a discourse put together by the LDS Church on, <clears throat> on the three glories and, you know, bless everyone in the restoration, you know, someday I'm just glad that the test is not actually over doctrine. And by test, I mean, you know, the, the, te- the, the admittance into heaven is did your heart change? Cause we're all in some doctrinal error, I believe at some level or not, another, but you know, it's, I mean, just, just got this right here in front of me, you know, it speaks of the terrestrial glory, this, the next lowest degree, will be attained by many whose works did not merit the highest reward. You know, that's that's what it says in this publication. So so it's taken the need for our sin to be removed out of it. The point isn't that we had good works or great works or fantastic works or became a martyr because then only if it was up to that, there'd only be two or three people, the, the real martyrs, who could have merited probably something worthy if it was by merit. The whole point is if your heart was changed and you're broken and contrite, no matter what your sin or even what your works god removes your sin so you can return to him that's the message of salvation and that's what he says that's because our righteousness was filthy rags you know why didn't they say well the terrestrial glory this is the next lowest degree when you didn't when you had a few more filthy rags than the than the other it's like no all of our works are filthy rags yeah you're, you you can't be
1: there's only you can't be clean to a different degree of being clean like what <laughs> like your little whiter shade of white, and, you know, or and I'm a little smudged, right? Because it says you stand there and you have a perfect recollection of your cleanliness and or that's your that's, guilt,
0: right? And mm-hmm. that's what gives you your your rejoicing. Um, All this has taken the need for a savior out of it, and that's the that's the whole message that's contrary to the Book of Mormon, and 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 this whole idea that you know, it, again, it turns it into what we did versus what he did, and. I don't know how
1: Jesus can be the author and finisher of your faith if you then flip that back around and say, well, how good was my character? And, you know, this isn't limited to the restoration. I was listening to one a, a, great, a great production, a great ministry this week, and yet in the middle of that, this man said something to the effect of, you know, was, was talking about a scripture about the martyrs. And he says, you know, the martyrs will have the best place in heaven, closest to God, you know, closest to the throne Um, and I don't remember what scripture he quoted. It was, it was based on an interpretation of scripture. And I thought, well, that's not much different really than, you know, that's just another form of what we've been taught. You know, you go to a certain place for eternity based on what you've done, not based on what Jesus has done. I mean, I I don't, I can't imagine being a martyr and dying for that, but Not to belittle that, but people die all the time, whether they believe in Christ or not, in horrific Mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. Why would that—why does God give opportunity for some to have a better eternity based on their circumstance here and what they happen to do or not do? Right. I mean, how many people died never having a chance to, (laughs) you know, Exactly. to go down that way?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So that shows to me shows a lot of would be favoritism and where you were born and to who you were born and and then you get into all those mysteries well why well maybe it was based on what happened in heaven and I just don't I don't see no. the instruction for any of that in the scriptures
0: No but we we have to we have to realize that and and this is what makes me makes me angry and and not angry with our people or anything just angry that we've been s- We've been confused about things and we've been told we have to try to make all this fit. And I'm like, No, these were the ideas of men and they crept into our thinking. You know, here here all these people were still in the church, you know, we got and I'm not picking on W. W. Phelps or Parley Pratt, but they were writing, promoting each other, you know, lifting each other up and you know, we're the fulfillment of Zenith and we're we're the twelve and this is the millennium and this is and it's like, no, 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 no. Um, but from that we we get this. Here's Brigham Young being interviewed, and this is in the discourses of Brigham Young. Uh, how many kingdoms there are has not been told us, but they are innumerable. Now he's talking about you know final glories. Um, how many glories and kingdoms will there be in eternity? You will see the same variety in eternity as you see in the world. You know, he's other words saying, hey, just like it is in our world right now, it's going to be like that forever. And that these ideas are so contrary to what the book of mormon the, this this book that was given back to us to to resolve these conflicts and these disputations as the scripture calls them and it's like we've abandoned them and we've tried to justify these words that came from men in the 1800s and somehow think they were inspired to make it all reconcile or to try to reconcile and make it all fit right and 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 that's the whole point is that we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to read this word that God gave us. And this is whether it became the standard to us as the Gentiles, the church among the Gentiles, it's going to become the standard to Israel someday. And this is where we're on this edge, I believe, of the, this time of the Gentiles ending where no, the gospel is going to go back to these people uh, and they're going to read, they're going to read these words and they're going to find the truth. And, you know, we've got volumes of church history and we've got volumes of publications and we've got all these, you know, stories of, of our, some, many of them, good, you know, our, our stories of our saints, you know, and you promote these things, Mike, and and we've got stories of kind of some dark times too in the church history. But in the end, I think the summary of this time of the Gentiles will be no different than when in Noah's day, the Earth had been around for two thousand years and it had fallen into wickedness, and all that two thousand years of history was simply summarized in the sentence where it says, Every man was lifted up in the pride of his own heart you know and and I right. have a feeling that you know we, we think we're going to be lined up with our stories and our and our, our I mean maybe we will in, in a good way, but but it's not going to be our history, and it 's not going to be our interaction with this Word of God that convinces the world that we've we've sold ourselves on a delusion that somehow, no matter what fallings and failings we've had, that somehow we're going to be the one that saves the world. No, it's going to be God's Spirit directly through his Word to the hearts of the people who are the remnant in the prophecies that mm-hmm. speaks to the truth to them. And I think, I think our stuff, like all these things I'm pointing out, is just the clouds that kind of have to get right. blown out of the way. You know what?
1: You're reading excerpts, and people could say, Well, that's Brigham Young after Joseph died. But I don't believe he was in Ireland or this thought process was just in Ireland. We have these recordings, but how many other people, how many meetings, how many services, how many sitting around a fire at night with these ideas back then? It was not just one. It was, I imagine, proliferating through the body and going into the building of the temple there and, and, um, there was all kinds of ideas that started to have a a groundswell or a um, come up with this philosophy of interpreting the word of God in a certain way. Yeah, and it's very, it is very hard to go back and read it without having decades of being taught certain things. But that's that's why I like when we started with the Book of Mormon when we did our series on eternal life and went through all of those prophecies and all of those instruction and then went and read. 76 trying to get a different perspective i thought that was healthy
0: and interesting yeah so so mike what do you say to the to a, a young woman or, or a single person you know the young mom who's struggling to teach your kids the truth what what is what is the truth what what is what is the two minute summary of of salvation in, in your mind
1: yeah i think it is this uh for your time here on the earth Learn to desire the Spirit of God above all else. For some people, there may be a magnificent moment in their life where you're like, I will give up all my sins to know you. For other people, it's going to be a pathway of discipline and over and over and praying and meditating and seeking and falling and getting back up, but trusting. And the basic thing is, if you don't desire the Spirit of God above everything else in this world right now, then that's that's what's going to continue on when you leave this world mm. the spirit that possesses your body in this world will be with it in the world to come now that doesn't does that mean that's a final i don't know but it's the same spirit so if you're not desiring that now when your heart stops beating you're not magically going to desire that then it's mm-hmm. that same so we're given a moment here to seek out our creator and to learn about him. And he's given us all kinds of things to help us along the way, right? Suffering and death and questions. And he hides himself in his word so that you have to seek him out and learn bit by bit, you know. But that's that's it. It's like you weren't made on your own accord. You were made by a creator. His desire and his whole work is to bring you back to him. Mm -hmm. Will you trust him to do that? He Mm -hmm. is mighty to do that. Do what he says, seek him out. And and that's it. It's like if you love the things of the world more than him, then you have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what would you say? That's and that's I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to I wanted to wrap up with that. Where's the hope? What would you say, Corey, to to someone that's wanting to teach their children about eternal life? What would you say?
0: Well, I'd, I'd tell them the same things that I'm thinking, I wish I'd told this to my kids when they're younger, because I feel like most of my life I sort of caught up in just trying to prove that the church was restored rather than prove this uh, beautiful, pure doctrine that God gave us. And and he teaches this, you know, I'm justice and I'm mercy, right? Mm-hmm. I both, both come from my hand. And this is what God says through the book of Mormon. And so from that, the first thing that I would teach my kids is that you're going to have blessings in life. And you're going to have times when you wonder if there is even a God, right? You know, they're both going to hit you. And God realized, God created this life. That's the parallel. That's the opposition. But our job in this life is to realize that the only hope that's going to bring total happiness is to be returned to him. And he's prepared one way. And that way is that we recognize that we are sinners cast out of his presence. And we had no hope without him except he came in, stepped in out of eternity into this time and space and took on flesh and became a sacrifice for our sin. That was the only thing that could pay the penalty of our sin because we were cast out. <clears throat> and in that, when we come to him, and we can only do that by recognizing our weakness and calling on him, that's that's repentance. And we endure to the end he says, I'll give you my spirit. That's what you're talking about, desiring his spirit. I will give you my spirit to guide you through these hard times, through the through the good times, through the hard times. Don't worry, I'll be with you. And in that, if we endure in that faith, the word faith I'm learning is most beautifully explained by the words that only occur in the Book of Mormon from the hebrew which meant to be firm and steadfast you know when we say hey have faith in god a lot of people think well that just means believe that he exists but when we say be firm and steadfast that means no to be unyielding in the face of sin like nephi says hey could you make me so i'll shake at the appearance of sin you know if we desire his spirit and we remain firm and unyielding in, in the ways that he's commanded us to, to love our neighbors even when they don't love us, to to be, to be do good to those who do us harm, to to seek to sacrifice even when we want to be selfish. Those are the things that demonstrate our heart is changed. And when we stand before the Lord one day, if our hearts were changed, he, he says this from 3 Nephi 11, And at the great and last day, When all people and all kindreds and nations and tongues shall stand before God to be judged of their works. Now, remember, it isn't judged of our works as a, okay, well, you had five works and you had six. No, the work is whether our heart was changed. Whether they were good or whether they were evil, our works show the intent of our heart. If they be good to the resurrection of everlasting life, and if they be evil to the resurrection of damnation, being on a parallel, Mm-hmm. the one on one hand and the one on the other, according to the mercy and the justice and the holiness, which is in Christ.
1: It's interesting when we ask this question, you know, what would you say to a mom that your, your gifts and talents um, come through in what you would say, because you have, I believe the gift of, although you would probably argue, but you have the gift of discipline. And when you get on something you have this fortitude and this I'm, going 110% and I can accomplish it and I can ride to Texas on my 50th birthday or whatever, you know, (laughs) like you did, but you have that. And then I come from a different set of tools uh, where I see things differently, sometimes more, maybe more emotional, maybe more, um, I don't know, left brain, right brain, whatever, but neither one of them is wrong. And God brings all men to him based on your story and who you are. And that doesn't mean there's many paths. There's one path to him. But the end result is what you said, the parallel. And so you tell your children, look, you're either going to be cast off forever into darkness and be a son of perdition, or you're going to be with the Lord in the end. And the path that you walk down will lead you to one place or the other. And every choice that you make and every every person you decide to hang around with. And every moment you spend in prayer and meditating on the word is going to define which path you go on. And and each path is not set forever. You can wander off of that path. You can, you can lose hope. The scriptures are full of stories like that, you know, seeds. And sometimes you have roots. So you have to stay the course on the path. And at some point, you're going to be changed and transformed into the creature that you need to be to be in the presence of God and not be destroyed. And that's, that's it. Two paths. There are two paths, son, you know, or daughter, there's two paths, which path are you on? And God gives us all kinds of guideposts to help us judge. But the easiest thing is just this. When I wake up in the morning is my number one thought, my father in the heaven and that I'm a son of his and that I want to be with him. Or is my thought, What am I going to do for myself today? And that's the biggest thing I think to tell where your heart's at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen.
1: Do you have? You said you had all kinds of stuff. Do you? Do you have a? Do you want to stop this for today and pick up next time, or anything else you want to share?
0: Oh. I don't know that I want to share any more of the history stuff you know i I don't know that I've shared enough to really present the case either, but you know a, a little bit of this stuff goes a long way too, I think because um i don't I don't want it to be a, a downer i don't I don't want to make people feel discouraged but but I just it's given me hope to realize no god God gave us this word regardless of what other people said i re- I'm just going to say it. We were given the Book of Mormon to sort out all these issues, to clarify all this confusion, mm-hmm. and we've got to believe it first, and we've got we've got to take it as no, this is the pattern here. This is anything more or less than this, as the scriptures say, is not of God. And, right. And and that's what gives me hope. Is when I read this, and this is what's been discarded by people now and and scoffed at but it won't be forever but we have to make sure that we realize no we do have a good anchor here and 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 like you stated Mike the there's two paths and and God is not trying to trip us up on a technicality he's not trying to keep us away from him it's not like oh there's two paths but you know you're yeah, there's a pretty slim chance you're going to find the right one buddy you know and in in the the scriptures and don't confuse that with the scripture too that says hey, you know, narrow is the way that leads to life and broad is the way that leads to death and many there be that go in there. That that means that the condition of this world is that many people lead a life that leads them away from God, but it doesn't mean in the end he doesn't have a plan to bring them to him. You know, that's part of what the prison house does without without going there. I don't right. want to go there and, in terms of discussing it so much. But the point is that God has said, no, the, you know, to the, to the woman with the little children. It's like, no, God's God's made it. He's giving you the best gift possible. He says, if you desire me, I'm going to give you my spirit, and it's going to help guide you in the right and wrong. Not You're going to be confronted with lots of challenges and lots of choices, and the spirit is going to nudge you in the right direction.
1: Well, very good. Um, anything else you want to add? Well, I think it's been good to visit with you, Mike. Corey? You gotta you gotta you gotta <laughs> you can't sign off yet until you tell you remind our listeners Hey, we're just here walking each other home. So you walk out someone home too, to God. Amen. Till next time. God bless.